Greetings, friends, and welcome to the eighth edition of the Rhode Island Builders Association's News and Information Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Eno, and it's November 18th, 2021. Co-hosting with me today is REBA's Executive Officer, John Marcantonio. Good morning, John. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having us. Thanks for doing this. And uh, we have sitting in with us today, REBA's brand new, uh, shiny new Director of Communications, Monica J. Cummings. How are you this morning, Monica? Terrific, Paul, how are you? Well, better than nothing. Uh, with us today are two guests from the Rhode Island Department of Business Regulation, Deputy Director Julia, Julieta Georgiakis and State Building Code Commissioner, James Cambio. Our subject, all about the state codes, code officials and their education, and some code revisions that are taking place. Uh, look for full coverage of these issues in the January 2022 Rhode Island Builder Magazine. So, Jim, let's begin with some background on where the codes come from and how they are adopted in Rhode Island. Sure. Thank you, Paul. So I'll, I'll be referring to them as the BCSC, but uh, that's the Building Code Standards Committee. Um, that group was formed um, by state government to work with the Building Code Commissioner to um, adopt a national code or a model code and then make amendments to it as they thought necessary um, to fit you know, uh, what was needed in Rhode Island for um, you know, regulating design, construction, and life safety in any buildings. So once, um, once we do that, we review the, uh, the new, well, the model code in this case, the recent one was the 2018 ICC. We make recommendations and uh, uh, to change or amend certain sections. Those go out for public comment on the Secretary of State's website. Um, we review all the comments. Um, if we decide that some uh, are worthy of going back and making changes, we would do that. And then they would go back out again for comment, or we can take them under advisement and say, you know, we'd probably look at this at the next code cycle to see how the model code may have addressed that as well. Once, um, once we do that, um, we also need to have the cost benefit analysis done on the codes. Um, so any amendment or change to the code, obviously there's a benefit we would hope, because, uh, but there's also a cost associated with making a change. So pr in prior years, we would do that here, but that um, process has now been sent over to the Office of Regulatory Reform, where they will, um, they will review it and require uh, some explanations on every change we make. Um, if I could, I'd defer to Julietta at this point to kind of explain that process so I get it right. Oh, sure, I'm happy to. So <clears throat> all regulations in the state of Rhode Island have to be accompanied by a cost benefit analysis. Um, it's, it's in law and the code just happens to be one of the most lengthy regulations that the state passes. It's 13 books, is it, Jim? What is it? Correct. Quite a bit. Yeah. So doing the analysis yes. on that is, is you know, a, a complex and lengthy process, but it has to be done. It's, it's a good way to show the, the design professionals and the building community that, look, we're, we're making changes. 
but they're good changes, the benefits outweigh the costs. So the office, our office, the state building office is responsible for doing that cost benefit analysis. We conduct it in-house um, and just kind of parenthetically back in 2015, when the 2015 code was gonna be adopted, there, there wasn't a team to be able to conduct it in-house and that's what caused that delay, right? So there was no one to do the cost benefit analysis. Um, it, need to be, it needed to be consulted out. Um, and so it, it took three years to get that process done. Now we do it in-house, we submit it to ORR. They make sure that, that we cover all the topics and all the changes. Um, they approve or, or don't approve. And then the adoption takes its, the, the normal course of every other regulation that gets passed. Okay. Uh, John, do you want to jump in here? I don't think it can be explained much better than that. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, there, are, there are some, some issues that do come up as far as, you know, whether something's necessary or overly burdensome or costly and that process takes care of that generally. I haven't seen um, much in the way of any any real complications with the existing process, except for the fact that sometimes it takes a little too long, and that that length. Uh, like some of this stuff is is and Jim, help me out here. Sometimes that the experience on the commission itself could lend a quicker, faster, cheaper evaluation than sending it to sometimes a third party when the, the experience on the commission can say, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's an extra hundred dollars a house. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you don't need to go through the delay to find that out, but otherwise the, the process uh, is there for a reason uh, and generally seems to work well. I know okay. that the cycle is on as long. I mean, the state's caught up on its cycles, right, Juliana? It is. We, we have been pay, playing catch up. Um, the ICC has already uh, issued the 2021 code. And so we just adopted the ICC 2018 as our Rhode Island 2021. So I know Jim and his committee are going to dive into looking at the 2021 to make it our hopefully 2022, end of 2022, or maximum early 2023. So that's the next, next step in the process. That'll get okay. us completely caught up. Right. <clears throat> okay, Jim. That some of that is just... Um... If there's ever a revision, uh, it's just sometimes relying on the experience of the commission on some occasions, as opposed to kicking it to a third party. And so that's something I hopefully that can be worked out in the future. Uh, Jim, regarding uh, our communications over the past few weeks, you said that revisions to the code would be kicking in or at least be finalized by the middle of November, which is like right now. So where yeah. do we stand on the revisions and what will they be? Sure. Okay. So the process is completed now. The Secretary of State has posted the official version of the 2021 Rhode Island codes. They will go into effect on February 1, 2022. Um, in those codes, a lot, uh, there weren't that many amendments on this code cycle, but some of the biggest things I think you'd see in the residential code. Of course, energy is always uh, in there, um, making houses um, more energy efficient. Um, but one of the biggest changes is gonna be the, um, the egress section and the emergency escape uh, window sizes. It'll, it'll make it easier to distinguish what's required. Um, before we had two different sizes, depending on different conditions and, and it caused a lot of confusion. 
So we were able to just um, adopt the model code, which calls for a 5.7 square foot clear opening, and it simplifies that whole section for us. So that'd be one of the biggest changes I think people will be glad to see. Okay, um, other, other changes that might be of interest? Well, I said um, there was a very little change in the plumbing, mechanical codes, uh, electrical code, um, only had a couple of amendments. Um, we did, uh, you know, there's still some tweaks we need to make to our codes to, to come up with a more standardized uh, frost depth across the state. Right now, that's a little confusing. So that'll be handled in this next edition. Um, we wanna continue to work on the, um, the section about constructing decks um, and make that a little more uh, under, clearer. Um, a deck really is a residential floor. It's the, the, you know, it should be framed the same way, but we don't provide that much information on it. So hopefully we can do a little better job with that section as well. Okay. Now the codes come up. I, I, oh, I questions. <laughs> so Jim, how this process, when, when the codes, the new codes come in and are officially adopted, yeah. how does that go as far as leeway in the field, right? So the building officials now have to be updated than what's going on here. If you're yeah. a builder or a remodeler, you've been building in a certain way for 25 years, you haven't gotten wind of the new code you know, use your window example, right? You've installed yeah. windows right, and right. always made the code and all of a sudden, you know, your windows are coming in, mind you, nine weeks before delivery. Um, <laughs> and and all of a sudden they're two inches, you know, by one inch, whatever it would be, uh, too small. Yeah, like, yeah. How, how does something like that, what's the leeway or experience in the field? How, how does that work? What kind of process that people have to sure. go through? So the code will allow someone who has started the permit process or submitted plan or who has gone through the, uh, the plan and spec process, a 90 day window. So prior to, fe you know, February one comes, a builder can say, look, I started the planning of this project and started the permitting a few weeks ago. So I ordered stuff that would subscribe to the old code he has a 90 day window to work with the 2015, which was our 2019 code. And once that 90 day window expires, then everyone it, it would have to follow the newest code, which would be our 2021. Um, hopefully in, uh, in our efforts to get some education out there uh, in January, we'll be working with Reba to, um, to expand our audience. I'd love to uh, not just limit it to building officials and these inspectors. I'd like to invite, you know, builders, architects, engineers, as um, if we're able to find a venue where we can uh, put everybody. Um, maybe we extend the training out a few more days instead of doing them all right in a row. So yeah, I, I think it's important to address a, a larger audience if we can. And so our, our communication resources um, for anyone who's listening at the Builders Association, I'll rephrase that. <laughs> and so all those folks who are listening uh, at the Builders Association, we now have some more communication resources, specifically Monica, Monica Cummings. And Monica, as you listen in on this, 
I'm sure you're already pondering ways that we can get the information uh, uh, about new codes and the requirements out to the industry. So, Jim, uh, you know, we're at your disposal here as far as getting that information out and coordinating messaging for you. Right. Yeah, I think we're going to try something a little different this year than we normally do. Um, we're going to have some ICC instructors come in to teach the changes in the code. And then they're also going to have copies of the Rhode Island amendments that they're going to have highlighted at the same time. So we're not just going to be teaching the changes in the ICC code, we'll also be addressing our amendments, at, uh, which typically isn't done if you invite, you know, neighboring states who might be on, you know, uh, different uh, um, amendments and all of that. It gets the model code is good to go over, but I think the amendments are the most important. So hopefully we can incorporate that too. And like we said, to a much wider audience, hopefully. Okay, uh, the ICC being the International Code Council, Correct. Uh, which originates these codes. Uh, Jim, could you explain by what st standard does the BCSC, how, how do they decide which codes to adopt and which not to when they come in from the ICC? Which codes okay, should be so adopted? Okay, so the ICC is the model code we use. Um, and then it really comes down to uh, that cost benefit analysis, you know, uh, that John said, you know, we could probably just do right in house. If you look at the makeup of the BCSC, it's made up of code professionals, but it's also made up of a pretty wide range of um, professionals out in the field, engineers, architects, builders. Um, so they have a pretty good idea when they read the model code, if, is that a good idea? Should we just keep that for Rhode Island or should we make it a little less stringent? Should we make it a little more stringent? Um, ideally, you know, I, I guess if you, if you wanted an ideal world, we would adopt the model code, but there are things in there that I think you could certainly argue probably don't need, don't, uh, the cost wouldn't justify the, um, the benefit or vice versa, the benefit wouldn't be justified, so. Okay. Now, I think we wanted to get into building officials. I suppose you could argue that uh, the code is only as good as those who enforce it. So can you tell us how building officials are chosen and how they are educated? Sure. Um, if I could, right before we jump there, I just want to comment, because I think I'm not so sure the, the greater population understands the importance of, of a, keeping current with the latest codes. Um, they just say, well, okay, we're changing codes again. Why are you in such a rush to jump? We just adopted the 2018, Jim. Why do you want to start the 2021 review tomorrow and change again within a year? Um, obviously, we, we look at it like we want to stay ahead of or as close to keeping up with the industry and life safety issues. We wanna keep up with the energy code, which is constantly changing. Um, but one of the biggest things I think that goes, uh, kind of flies under the radar is the, um, the building code effectiveness grading system that's in place, which they refer to as a BSEGS. So 
Um, ISO, the Insurance Services Office, goes to all the municipalities and they do a little um, questionnaire with the building officials. And depending on the code you're on, you get a better rating. So what that means to the public is the better the rating, the lower that municipality's homeowner insurance rates should be. So it has a, 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 a pretty wide ranging effect on everyone, the builders, because they're building a better product. Uh, we're keeping up with all the critical things we need to keep up with to make houses safer. But there's also a benefit to the homeowner because they can realize lower insurance premiums if the codes are um, kept up to date. So sorry, I kind of went off on that a little bit. Oh, and, no, no, that's important. I think that's important, yeah, for the public to yeah, realize yeah. too. There is a big benefit to it. So uh, where do building officials come from? Who makes okay. <laughs> so uh, in the code, there is a, um, a section 107.1.1, I believe it is, uh, um, that discusses how building inspectors and officials, what requirements um, need to be met, what their qualifications are. Right now, for instance, for a building inspector, um, he needs to have a minimum of three years experience. It's a little worded differently in the code, but it's basically three years of experience swinging a hammer or being involved in the industry. Um, there is also a state certification process where we wanna teach the amendments. And that's something we've been working with Reba on as well. Um, teaching the Rhode Island amendments. So you know what you should be looking for when you go out there. And there is also upfront right now an ICC certification requirement. So in order to be an inspector anywhere in the state, you need to have a B1, what they've referred to as their residential inspector certification. And that okay. is pretty much right now the process. Now I understand that uh, maybe John would want to comment on this, that Reba is working with your office to uh, provide educational courses for building officials. Uh, John, could you comment on that? So Paul, I, I think between the, the state and private entities and trade associations, the educational resources and training will be there. I, my personal concern, and I hope folks listening here can help out, is that just like the industry, itself with a lot of people retiring and aging out. The same is happening with the building official community. And so we really need to get the word out that if you have some experience in this industry, um, even if you're partially retired as a builder and you wanna extend your attachment to the industry that a career in building inspection, um, being a building official and inspector for a community is a great way to give back to the industry, your community and the state's economy. So I, I think anyone who has ever considered uh, a career in this area should contact Jim or the Builders Association or even their local building official within their town and explore it. Um, it's, a, it's a very critical, critical thing uh, to have a surplus of. And I think we, <laughs> we're, we're losing building officials mm -hmm. at, at a pretty good clip uh, for retirement. Is that not the case, Jim? It is. Um, you know, I, I believe ICC about 10 years ago, did a, did a report on this, that we would be running out of building officials in 10 years. 
So <laughs> here we are, and um, we, we don't have enough bodies to fill the positions, mostly on the building side. We have a lot of a plumbing, mechanical, electrical contractors licensed through DLT that can fill the voids part-time in those trades, but the building inspector and building official ranks are depleted. So we need to come up with a plan, hopefully with, along with Reba to figure out how best to recruit qualified people into this uh, role. So Monica, there you go. So it's not just the codes now. <laughs> you can focus on getting the word out about the opportunities in, in this career set. So there's plenty of skill sets out there for it. We just got to match people up. Now, so, Jim, while I have you, and not to jump in here, Paul, too much, but you knew I was going to do this. Uh, I, I, have, I have to ask you, can you just stress to the building community that it is their responsibility? It's not up to the building official to teach them the code. It's not up to you know some third party that comes to inspect it later on or the lumber yard. It really is the individual contractor's responsibility, correct? That is, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, you know, uh, obviously there are inspect, uh, building officials that will work with the builders, but you're right. It, 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 it's a very fine line between helping you and in becoming the designer, which the building official doesn't want to do. That that's a bad area to to go into. So um, yeah, you're right. Having the code book and just being educated on, you know, depending on what kind of uh, work you specialize in, those particular areas, being able to produce a plan if if one's needed. Um, all helps in the permit process. I was wondering, uh, now we were always told in the service that the only dumb question is the one that isn't asked. Uh, so this may be obvious to many of our listeners, but not necessarily to all. What is the difference between a building official and a building inspector? Okay. So the building official, um, uh, there are more requirements, a little more experience um, in, in the industry. Uh, a certification as a certified building official through ICC. But the biggest uh, difference is the building official takes on the administrative role. So he needs to be more um, educated in the legal aspects of the code and the uh, running of the office, you know, because he would be the, uh, the administrator of the office. That's really okay. the biggest difference. All right. Now, uh, Jim uh, and Julieta, uh, Julieta, would you like to comment on that before we? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Jim brings up a good point on what certifications are required currently to be a building official or a building inspector in the state. And and I think one of the interesting things that that he first brought to my attention was that, you know, currently there is only one path to becoming either a building inspector or a building in official. And that's through that ICC path, right? The, getting the B1 to be a residential inspector, getting the B2 to be a residential and commercial and getting the CBO certification and becoming a, a building official. Um, interesting enough, there are 35, Jim, employed building officials across all municipalities. So we have 39 municipalities, 35, different building officials in those communities because some double up um, and a 
the vast majority of those people were grandfathered in. So their certifications were grandfathered in. So we have a situation where we're gonna have a, a, a bunch of, of gentlemen um, retiring soon without having the influx of people coming in that have those certifications to be able to take their spot. So I don't know if there's a world where, you know, the ICC certification is, is still a path to become an inspector or a building official, but is not the sole path to doing so. Um, you know, just recently we tweaked last year, the General Assembly tweaked the requirements to become an engineer. And they said, you can also get a degree from a technical school and end up being an engineer. So, so I've always questioned, you know, the value of only allowing one path to, to becoming these, these professions when I, 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 I could easily say that, you know, the building code standards committee could quite possibly, um, you know, evaluate individuals on their own merits and, and decide whether or not, you know, they're qualified to be inspectors or building officials. But, you know, that, that's another topic for another time, um, but just something to bring to everyone's attention. Okay, well, I had uh, one more question, Jim uh, or Julietta. Uh, what changes would the state building office, which you represent, like to see in the statutory requirements for, build, for becoming a building official or inspector? Okay, I, I think uh, Julietta almost answered that question just now. I, and I agree. I think we need to uh, broaden the, uh, the recruitment base. I think there are a lot of people that have the qualifications and the experience and the education necessary to be good inspectors and maybe even good building officials. But um, I think there's that roadblock to enter into the uh, profession by having to have the ICC before you can even apply. Um, I'm not, and again, I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of education. I think, you know, in continuing education and I value the ICC certification and maybe we make that a down the road requirement or we say, if you come in with the ICC cert, well, then that's that's good enough to get you by the rest, a few of the other requirements. But I think we're 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 missing a large group of qualified people by by having that one restriction in there right now, or making it the only path. Yeah, right. Exactly. I think it's a valuable path. The ICC certification certainly does prove that someone you know understands the codes knows how to administer them um but it, it can't be the it shouldn't be in my opinion the only path to becoming um a building official and and a building inspector as well so you know and, and listening to julietta and, and and jim talk about that I, I i would say that they're on there's something um it makes total sense to expand the eligibility or to look at people's experiences overall, or to create different pathways to become a building official inspector. Um, I think what you're saying is it's evident that it's so restrictive. We, we went through this process with surveyors not too long ago, and the law had to be changed. Um, I don't know if, if our industry uh, trade association played any role in this back in the 80s, Paul, but uh, there were rules put in place that made it very difficult to become a surveyor. And when you know it, uh, 20 years later, there were almost no surveyors. So they, they uh, I think some of the rules, you had to go to a certain college, had to do a certain thing, I what it was. 
Um, and now they've opened that up. And I think that problem is resolving itself. So I think uh, you guys are on to something there as far as opening up pathways. Okay. Um, John, are you um, all set here or would uh, Julietta or Jim like to well, add I'm, anything? I'm never, I'm never all set. <laughs> you know, if you give me another 30 seconds, uh, like I just finished the statement and you're asking me for another question, but uh, no, look, I'll, all kidding aside, this was a great conversation. I'm glad you guys got a chance to meet Monica. It's always great to have uh, your experiences, Jim. And uh, Julieta, always your perspective. Very welcome uh, by the industry. Uh, I'm here for any other questions or things you want to talk about. But Paul, to answer your question, no, I'm I'm good. I'm finally good here. I'll let you hit a, a certain time mark. I know you're looking to keep it to a certain length. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, that's about it for our podcast number eight. And before we say goodbye, just a few announcements about some great events going on in the month of December 2021. Don't miss the free Christmas open house at the Rhode Island Builders Association headquarters, 450 Veterans Memorial Parkway, East Providence, 02914, on Tuesday, December 7th, 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Do some networking and enjoy drinks and light refreshments. To register, contact Robin Barlow at 401-438-7400 or rbarlow at ribuilders.org. The Professional Women in Building Council invites you to one of two holiday open houses at Home Hellsmith, 207 High Point Avenue, number two in Portsmouth, Rhode Island, 02871. Mingle with Reba and PWB members, enjoy light fare and beverages, and experience the new Accessibility Living Suite. RSVP to 401-293-0415. That's 401-293-0415. Take your choice, Wednesday, December 8th or Tuesday, December 14th from 4 to 7 p.m. RSVP by December 12th, I should say December 7th, to Linda Bombach. That's Linda at homehealthsmith.com or call 401-293-0415. On Friday, December 10th, join the Professional Women in Building Council and the Rhode Island chapter of the National Association of Women in Construction for their annual holiday brunch. That's 11.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at the Grand Ballroom at The Graduate, formerly the Providence Biltmore Hotel, 11 Doran Street, Providence. For information and tickets, visit nawicri.org. That's N-A-W-I-C-R-I dot org. In the meantime, the Rhode Island Builders Association is going strong. For all the information, education, and member resources you need, call 401-438-7400 during business hours or visit ribuilders.org anytime. I'm Paul Eno here with Executive Officer John Marcantoni and Communication Director Monica Cummings, and we'll see you next time on Reba's News and Information Podcast.